Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, episode 18, Alec and the No Man Empires. We are looking for more people to interview, so if you're a DM or you know a DM that might be interested in coming on the show, you can check out more about how to apply at www.gocorral.com STS. And without any further ado, let's get into the show. Uh, today I'm here with Alec and we're going to talk about Alec's campaign. Um, before we get into that, you get the special note that I'm recovering from a cold at the moment. Oh. Um, so I will uh, definitely be editing out some coughs on my end. No worries. But, uh, I just took a, a shot of cough syrup, so should be good on that count for the most part. It's not, uh, it's not COVID, is it? No, no. I had that uh, like a month ago when you had messaged me, and I was like, oh, I'm, glad it's not. I'm glad you're not trying to do it this month because uh, I, I was out. But yeah, yeah, no. good to hear it's not that. Yeah, I got it last year. Um, ah, okay. And I've got the shot now. Um, but uh, and we get a bunch of free like at-home tests from like the library near our house. So oh, yeah. that's really nice. Yeah, um, I got to grab one of those and do the little stick a Q-tip up your up your nose thing. Oh, so it's, yeah. It's not COVID. It's just a cold I got from my kid's daycare. Oh, okay. I know the feeling. I used to work at one of those. That's where actually where I first got it. Not daycare quite, but kids stuff. Yes, yes. I saw the, the camp counselor yeah. Uh, yeah. angle, which it looked cool. So I did want to ask you about that. <laughs> um, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Uh, where Whereabouts in the country are you again? Uh, I'm in California. You're on the West Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm in Davis. Uh, it's about half an hour west of Sacramento, the California capital. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Um, so it's a it's a university town in the middle of farm country. So it's. Um, oh, okay. Okay. We got a lot of those over here. Don't worry. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kalamazoo might be one of those. Um, yeah. Where yeah. are you? Where are you from again? I forget. Uh, so I'm from the like the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. So, okay. Yes. It's just the biggest cities, really, um, within Minnesota. And I'm from like the suburbs mostly. So I've lived like on the north, the south, the west. No, no. Yeah. No, the east. I haven't lived on the west side yet. Okay. Yeah. Just moved around the cities. So a lot of people here do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, it's not the Twin Cities. It's a little more rural than that. But yeah, it's yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know the vibe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, the summer camp I worked at was, like, way out in a small town in Wisconsin. So to get there, you drive through a lot of little towns with, like, you know, two bars and two churches kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. The thing that makes Davis unique is it's a – the city plan is very heavily influenced by having bike paths everywhere. Well, that's – So every street has a bike path, and there's also a uh, – a, um, it's called the green belt, which is like a set of walking and biking paths that aren't on the road that oh. connect all of the parks in the city. That's kind of uh, nice. Yeah, so you can bike all around the city without having to go on a road, pretty much. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's I mean, actually kind of nice. You can't get everywhere, but you can get within like five blocks of wherever you want to go by going on the green belt. That's pretty. That's pretty nice sounding. And is it is it a relatively you said it was smaller, right? Kind of on the or I guess the college. Uh, and the college makes it pretty big because it's UC Davis is a big college, so I think it's about thirty thousand students. Ooh, yep, okay, big. Yeah, 
and then there's all the staff that support the the college as well. Of um, course. And then because of the bigger population, you also have more people that have like, you know, restaurants and doctors just because there's more people living there. Right. So uh, I did an estimate once, like the population of the town is like 65,000. I think without the college, it would be something more like 10,000 or a little bit less around that much. Uh, okay. That sounds kind of similar to where I went to school in uh, down in Winona State. Kind of mm-hmm. similar. It's way off away from the big cities similar college town that if the college wasn't there it probably wouldn't be much mm-hmm. but yeah there's another town that's kind of like it to the west called dixon Dixon. that yeah it's just a bit west of davis so okay. even further away from sacramento that is yeah it's just a little farming town um and i'm pretty sure davis would be just like that without the college are you uh are you from davis or did you just go to school there i'm actually from the bay from palo alto um, I used to live pretty close to where Facebook's campus was. Okay. So they, their campus was actually right next to our residential neighborhood. Oh. Um, in Northern California, there is a yearly soccer tournament that is held in Davis. Um, so when I was a kid, I was playing soccer, and I would go and I, I went to Davis every year to play in the tournament. Okay, cool. So you weren't you weren't too far. No, no. It's um, it's about two hours away to Palo Alto, but um, oh, yeah. It's familiar with the town from when I was a kid. Uh, my sister went here, and then I came here. Um, then we were actually roommates after we went out of the dorms. That worked pretty well. Um, okay. Yeah, roommate, you already know how to live with pretty well. Worked great. Yeah, those are those are hard to come by. Some. Yep. Nice yeah. when you get one. Yeah, and it's also like there's this pressure to get along because you're going to have to spend time with them anyway so you actually have to work out disagreements instead of just saying you know fuck you i'm gonna yep. <laughs> disagree with you and move out my first one was such a nice fit because i stayed in my room the entire time playing video games and he was just constantly out partying and mm-hmm. so like but he was very chill because he he told me how he once like broke a leg in school and he was in the hospital for like a month or two and he just played world of warcraft the entire time so like he was mm-hmm. super cool and chill with stuff yeah he's he's a pretty cool guy right do you want to tell us a little bit about uh yourself and who you are outside of D D? give us a little introduction yeah sure uh my name is alec i live up in uh, minnesota united states um i've been a lot of different positions in my life currently i work at a basically a construction company but i'm just in the office click clacking on the keyboard Right. Um, but in the past, I've worked as a teacher, uh, more data entry positions. I've worked as a camp counselor for like nine years as a summer camp in Wisconsin. Cool. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I think that's actually where I got a lot of my DM skills was working as a camp counselor. So um, what else? I've got, we've got two cats. I live with my fiance and we live with her best friend. And between us, we have three cats, and we love them very much. One each? <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> me, me and my fiance, we share two, and then the the one roommate does have the one. So, yeah. Okay. So yeah, basically. Yeah. So so right. pr- basically one each. They kind of have their favorites, so we kind of each do have our own, but still. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I you know play a lot of video games. I play a lot of D and D, of course. Um, I'm running two campaigns right now and like a mini kind of campaign for some friends. So like three 
And I, I play a lot of like League of Legends, TFT, uh, Skyrim, and other uh, RPGs and stuff. Cyberpunk, okay. you know, kind of just a general smattering of games. Yep, yep, all the all the big ones. Yeah, pretty much. Nothing, nothing too deep or crazy. Yeah. Um, tell me about how you got into D and D. What brought you into role playing games? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a story, a bit of a story, because I don't think I don't think my beginning was like too many, only just because of the size of it. Uh, my very first experience with it was I was at the video game club at the college I went to, which is like one of the biggest on campus. Rents out the whole lounge, you know, under the cafeteria type of a thing. Yeah. Yep. Everybody's bringing game cubes and uh, their laptops and stuff. Everybody's playing games. But the video or the D and D club obviously met at the same time because there's a lot of overlap, you know, a lot okay. of you know, makes sense. D&D players like video games usually. So uh, some of the members would go play D&D in one of the little conference rooms. And I remember this was, this was bad at the time. And I obviously don't like that I thought this. But at the time, I was like, that's so nerdy. Like, there's no way I would ever want to do that. This is like the first year of college. And I just... Yeah, you're sitting there thinking. with your LAN party GameCube and you're saying yeah. D&D is nerdy. <laughs> yeah, I was I was munching Doritos and chugging Mountain Dew from uh, like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Like playing Skyrim and Borderlands. Like what what right did I have to say that? But I don't know. You're not wrong. but uh... <laughs> yeah, True. It is very nerdy. It is very nerdy. But I, I, I put judgment on it at the time. But as the years went on, I kind of calmed on that and... Uh, eventually I got tired of games kind of being limited. Like, sure, you can do a lot in modern games these days, but you can't, like, completely improvise. And that's what I was looking for. And so the one of the video game club members, uh, he was like, hey, I've got a D&D campaign. We've got an open spot. We're only, like, level 3, level 5. Do you want to join? And I said, sure. And so I started looking up some of the rules, like, just on the SRD. I bought a set of dice from a local shop. And I knew basically next to nothing uh, going in. Uh, I think I played a druid, but I don't remember anything about my character. <laughs> um, but that campaign didn't go so well. It was only about a semester. And uh, there, were some, there were some things the dungeon master did that I didn't like, and the rest of a lot of the other players didn't like. Um, so it only lasted a semester. And I must have liked something about it, because by the end of it, I kind of told myself, they're like, there must be something fun about this game because people are playing it, people are enjoying it, and this wasn't that enjoyable. So I think I can do this a little bit better. And so I, I bought the player's handbook, I read all the rules and stuff, and then I just tried to start DMing. And my next available opportunity was at the summer camp I worked at. Okay, cool. So did you, did you DM for the kids or for the counselors? No, not for the kids, because at that point I was on support staff, so not in charge of a group of kids for, it's a week-long, kind of like stay-over type camp, uh -huh. um, overnight camp, whatever. Uh, and so I, I, I wasn't part of that anymore, I was like the support staff, so I was there all summer um, doing spe a specific job, specific task. That year I was the trips director, so I was the one who, when we had trips that would go out on, you know, like week-long canoe trips or two-week-long hiking trips or something, I was the one who had to pack the bags, who had to get all the food uh, ready and, like, help make sure the counselors, you know, knew what they were doing on a river trip type of thing. Okay. Yeah, food, um, first aid kit, maps, and yeah. satellite phone, whatever they need for that kind of stuff. Yep, and when they come back with all their spoons missing, they blame me, of course, but it's all in good fun. Uh, 
but uh while i was on support staff so it meant that i had more free time because i didn't have to uh take care of all the kids at night i didn't have to watch them every evening uh like the camp counselors do they get a night out here or there during the week but not a ton of free time right. so my idea was i'll just talk to the support staff you know the other support staff and see who's interested my fiance was already down because she worked there as well and so I got one or two people who were, you know, I, I knew were nerdier because camp counselors are a good variety of folk. And so I got uh, two or three people that wanted to play along with her. And then it was a good group. And I said, OK, cool. Uh, but <laughs> uh, this is still during staff training. And so for during those like two weeks of, of people talking and gossiping, eventually word spread that I was running this D&D campaign. And more and more people, counselors would just come up to me randomly, middle of the day. I heard you're running D&D. I want to join. I want to try it out. And I was like, oh, God. So I had to travel with the player's handbook, and I had to travel with, like, a printed summary of the classes and the races. So, like, Oof, in the middle okay. of a soccer game, you know, we're off on the side watching the kids. I quick just hand them the sheet. They read up and down. They choose which ones they want to hand it back to me. And by the end of it, Isaac, we had 30 people. It was big. That's, a, that's a big group. That's a big group. And being the dumb dumb inexperienced dm that i was i decided to dm all of them at once ah excellent <laughs> yeah exactly um the very first session we're they each had a goblin basically that they are paired against when we kind of entered in i made all their character sheets which honestly kind of helped a lot because i i now have all the like level one player's handbook features committed to memory so i knew all the spells did i knew what all the features did because i made like 20 sheets there was a couple people in made their own but i made a lot um but anyway uh that that campaign eventually less and less people showed up it was really fun the first session really crazy less and less people came because a lot of them were just regular counselors who didn't have the time to keep playing it well i could um, also imagine if that's your first exposure that you might think wow dnd is boring you never get to do anything yeah exactly exactly and i i did my best to like try to keep it rapid try to keep it going fast like have a couple people like in this section over here i'll say what they're doing and roll for it quick or something but yeah, no, it was it it wasn't the best experience I could imagine uh, to start off, um, especially because I had I did not have much of an idea of what I was doing. Um, but as that as that game grew, it started off with just a little town, and then eventually I made a city, and then eventually I made the whole country they were playing in, and we dwindled down to about like six to ten consistent players, where it was like every other night or so we'd play for like two hours, just very casual, very simple D and D. No, no, we didn't like dive into backstories or anything, you know. Uh -huh. Kept it easy, yep. kept it just, lightly. Just the adventures. Yeah, yeah. And like we we went wild with it, you know. We're camp counselors, we're crazy. So you know, I nat ones, nat twenties, we're wild. Uh, crits. I don't know. Do you play with uh, uh, like uh, what do you call them? Not nat, not criticals, but like where it's above and beyond or a crazy failure, like a critical failure. Um, fumbles. Yeah, sorry, there's the word. Yes, uh, I, I used to. I haven't been with the, the current campaign I'm doing, but uh, yeah, I used to. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, those were crazy and fun. Um, that campaign ended around the end of the summer because, you know, everybody went home. So right. uh, after that point, I, I, I was hooked. I really wanted to keep playing. I started DMing online, found a group on the subreddit, uh, looking for groups or whatever, right. and... Found some people, played with them multiple years in a row, but we never finished a campaign because I kept going back to summer camp to work. 
I also, uh, around that time, I also start after that, I started being a teacher around that, around that similar time. And so I was doing after school programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one at the first, uh, school I worked at that was really short. Then the second one lasted almost the entire year and we had 21 students. So I split it into three groups. So at that time I was running four campaigns and they're all just tomb of annihilation. Cause I wanted to try running a module instead of my own world for once. Yep. So uh, that was pretty crazy, and that's when I started to take notes on like what happened because I, when I didn't, I would mix up like, oh, this student, you know, they their character did this, but that's in the other group. You know? Oh, yep. I was getting confused. So um, up until that point, I didn't write anything down. Like during all the whole time DMing at the summer camp, I had a map or two drawn and like one or two jot notes of just interesting ideas, but. I had not even a page of notes total for the whole duration. Yeah, that sounds like a disaster. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was a. It was a messy wild campaign, but it was really fun. Uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of the camp counselors now who played, they'll sometimes reach out to me and be like, "Hey, like I joined a real D and D group." I'm like, "Thank you, thank you for joining a real group," because <laughs> that was not real D and D. I made sure, like, oh, tell them, like, man. "This is not regular D and D. This is just for fun." Ugh. But um about four years oh, sorry just the casual insult oh, oh yeah i joined a real D group well hey it's 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 the truth it's the truth they they had a great time we all did but it was not like good regular D D. not what i would yeah, consider yeah. at least yeah yeah with people you know they, they can joke with you like that of course oh yeah oh yeah it was it was a lot of fun we had a lot of just silly shena- silly over the top shenanigans so it was one of those more loosey-goosey games Yep. Um, but about four years ago is when I started to like try to be a better dungeon master, try to like actually mm-hmm. learn some of the skills. I started watching more videos, like you know Matt Colville, Matt Mercer, um, those kind of things, and yep. I I actually started writing notes. I started writing things down, and um, that was for an in-person campaign, which has still been going uh, for these four four and a half years. We took about a year and a half off for COVID. Um, but we've still been going strong uh, in person. And then I also uh, started two paid games on um, a, a, you know, a paid DMing site. So that was an mm-hmm. interesting experience. One fizzled out pretty early, but the other we stuck through until they all died, which was like two years in. And I have another group that actually just ended recently back in September. Well, I guess it's not recent anymore, but uh, in September they finished. Uh, so I had my first actual successfully completed campaign recently. Cool. Yeah. That, uh, that, uh, I'm not surprised it took you that long. It does sound I know, kind right? of rare. For the for the paid ones, were you doing Tomb Annihilation for those? I know paid no. games tend to go for more for um, modules. Yeah, no, it was actually just homebrew. Um, okay. I was actually running my first setting, the one I had made at the summer camp. A little bit more refined, but still not like the best setting ever. But yeah, no, I was, I was just running all homebrew uh, for that okay. one. Cool. Yeah. I uh, when we had first started that one, I, I gave them a choice, just like I usually do. I have like a couple maps of different areas I've drawn, and I say like, "Hey, here's maps. Here's like a picture for inspiration. Here's like a a one paragraph blurb. Which of these settings sounds cool?" And uh, Gallison, uh, my first setting was the one they chose. So. Okay. Uh, um. So is that the same setting for that you're using for the three campaigns that you're running now, or are they all the same world, different world? They're all in the same world. Uh, all, of, all of my games so far have been in the same, aside from like crazy one-shots here or there. 
everything's yeah, yeah. been in the same world. Uh, they're all just in different countries, all in different areas, but they they currently take place all in the relatively same time period, um, which was really fun because I had these three campaigns on going all at the same time, and they're all kind of getting to they're all getting to like similar level. They're all were about like level ten, which is when you start to get those like fun bigger spells like you know teleporting around the world a bit more yep. you know your your horizon expands and so there's actually a couple moments where i got to do some crossovers uh none where the players actually met each other but like their characters met the other group of characters and stuff like that oh okay so you had did the scheduling didn't work out for that or yeah scheduling and and one of the groups is in person another another was online and i didn't want to figure that out logistically so it was oh, just yeah. easier for me to just roleplay their characters to the best of my abilities, but right. I, I think it did okay. I remembered the question I was going to ask you before. Um, yeah. It was uh, during the, the COVID break, is there a reason you didn't move to online play then for your group, or was it just sort of momentum was lost initially? No, yeah. Uh, some of my players have difficulty when it comes to uh, paying attention to something, if it's not like right there in front of them, you know, get distracted mm -hmm. easily, that kind of thing. Yep. And so I just to just to help we did try. We tried I think one or two sessions and about half the group just wasn't feeling it. Uh didn't have the didn't they weren't able to hold the attention the same, people were losing details, it it wasn't great. So we decided, you know what, we'll just take a break from D and D. You know, we kind of were getting to the point too where the plot was getting a little bit long and we were at kind of a natural stopping point. So we were like, mm -hmm. Okay, we'll just take a break and then once COVID started and there were I guess that was more for online, but there were COVID concerns as well for in-person, yeah. of course. But yeah. once COVID started to die down, we were like, hey, now let's get back together. Um, and now we have been playing officially. I actually, because I like to keep track of, you know, how the calendar, like when we played and et cetera. And I found out that they're actually halfway through the campaign. Or their COVID is the halfway point. That's what I mean to say. COVID is the halfway point. They've played as much after COVID, the COVID break, as they have before the COVID break. So okay, it's neat I see. To finally cool. reach that. All right. Uh, did you want to give us a description of your world now? What's the What's the name? <laughs> I actually don't have a name. Um, okay. That's not one... unusual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my style is very much like I build as we go. Um, obviously, when I first began, it was that's all it was. But now I do a little bit of pre-planning and things. But so far, the the name of the world just hasn't really come up. Not a single one of my players have ever asked, and it's never been mentioned in game. It's never mattered in game. So I honestly just haven't named it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do still have like settings within this world, um, all on the same globe. Uh, my first one is Galson. I call it like my baby setting or my like video game setting because it's one of those. You know, first DM maneuvers where you've got just sort of an islandish nation. It's got it's one country, and all the cities are on this side. And it's wilderness over here, and uh, it's got the mountains, and it's got the fields, and it's got the volcanoes, and it's got the desert, and it's got the forest. It's, you know, it's like a yeah. video game where they try to uh, put you in all the different environments on this one, this one continent or this one country. Um. So that's kind of my first setting. It's still fine. It's it's still a fun one to run. I love it, but um, I would I would be I would have to go back at some day and like maybe remake the map of it and remake how it's shaped and how it looks and but that would change a lot. So an undertaking for another day. All uh, right. So you said that one's called Allison. Is that right? Gallison. Gallison. With a G. Yep. Okay. 
Al- literally just Allison, both a G at the start. Yeah. Right. Okay. Allison. Um, originally, it was called Mernica, and originally, all the cities and locations and forests were named after like cities that us, the camp counselors, knew because we were just having fun. So, like, uh, Amory, the city that the camp was in, was in right there in the that's the main city that they lived in. Uh, okay. One of the yeah, camp councils was from Scottsdale, Arizona, so the desert city was named Scottsdale. You know, just goofy stuff. Yeah. But eventually I changed. I changed a bunch of it when I was like, okay, let's make this like a real setting. <laughs> right. Or at least a little bit better. Um, but the rest of my world, though, which I only drew at first because one of my players during that campaign kind of threatened in like a joking way. He was like, what if, DM, what if we just took your quest, ignored it, bought a ship, and sailed across the ocean? I'd say then you'd sail across the ocean and you'd land somewhere, you know? <laughs> so then I drew, I drew the rest of the world. And I didn't plan anything for it until this uh, home campaign started. And that's when I made my second setting, Nosfari. Uh, and that one's a, a big empire, a big like inland ampi- uh, empire. It's got a coast on its western side. On the, to the north and south, it has mountains. And to the east, it has a large uh, inland sea that's surrounded by the other two empires that kind of counterbalance this one okay. um, uh, Nosferi is that like a, a Nosferatu reference or um a little bit like just slightly but not entirely um the, the original reason I named it is so these to start these three empires together are called the Nomen empires and that's because I like the idea of a no man's land not actually being land like what if it was an inland sea instead and so I was pretty literal with the name of Noman Empires, No Man Empires. Okay. And then that naming scheme kind of followed with Nosferi. I imagine the people here may say that this, like this place is home. This place is not far. Nosferi, not far. So that's kind of what it means. Is it means home to Nosfarians. Okay, that makes sense. But, A lot of people name like in their own language the name for their land is just home. So. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the architecture, especially with um, older Nosfarian and more ancient Nosfarian uh, styles, is more gothic. So it kind of fits a little bit. They have some vampires in their history as well, so it, it matches a little. Um, but yeah, that was my second setting. And, and Nosferi, the big thing about them is they hate magic. They hate things that are like occults or devil worship, etc. They're extremely religious. Uh, they have like one of the most powerful empires in the world, and they are also one of the main sources of gold uh, because the capital city is built at the foot of this mountain range where the uh, snow is literally gold that rains down. Um, mm. It is forbidden to collect, and it often just evaporates immediately as soon as it touches, but the mines here are blessed with a very high supply of gold. So Nosferi is very rich, very wealthy. Um, the other two empires, which I haven't gotten to run yet in a full setting, my, one of my player groups, the ongoing four-year one, um, the Knights of the Sapphire Spine, they, uh, they're now in Highrend because they're messing around doing stuff up there. But I haven't gotten to run a campaign yet. When this one ends, this Nosfarian campaign, the plan is to do uh, Highrend, and we're going to do a magic school. Uh, so, like, you know, very, like, Harry Potter-esque, you know, they're going to go to classes, they're going to have shenanigans, monsters may appear, that kind of thing. 
Uh Um, but it's going to end with like a competition where they have to fight each other, like hunger games, almost to the death type of a thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get revived. Very anime. Yeah. 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 Very anime. And Hyrand also, again, not quite anime on this one, but more like video game on this one. Uh, Hyrand, when I first designed it, um, was kind of around the time that Skyrim had came out. So it is similar in a way. It has a big mountain in the middle. It's got uh, a very like wide shape to it overall. So it, it looks familiar in that way. Um, but uh, it's, it's very different in where the mountains are and the people, of course, and everything. And one of the major differences is, uh, have you seen the show Arcane? On uh, I did see it, yes. Okay. So if you took like Hextech, um, the idea of you know Zaun and Piltover, if you kind of took that level of of science and technology and magic, slightly lower and slightly more mundane, and that's pretty much where this country is at. Like they're they're way more advanced in in magic and in science than the others because that's what they value, that's what they celebrate. The downside is is they make progress for the sake of progress, and there's not always a lot of regulation on it. Uh, there are some attempts to regulate it, but there's a lot of like uh, mad scientisty experiments that can sometimes happen. More magic themed often, but you get the idea. Okay. Um, it's a it's a wide empire though, and so like you know people on the far west end of it are very different than people on the far east, um, etc. So where Nosferi is all about you know religion, no magic. Uh, Hyrand, kind of the exact opposite. Uh, these two have a lot of fights, a lot of wars. There have been, in total, between these three empires, which I'll get to the third one in a sec, there have been a, a ten significant wars, with four of them being considered like great wars. Uh, they they don't get along very well. Nosfarians okay. and Hyrandians especially do not right, get along. So not that different from Europe, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's kind of the idea, because where. Where Nosferi is inspired a lot, like a lot of the naming schemes and a lot of the just general vibe of it, a lot of it is inspired by like Britain and England and, you know, sort of the Isles there, but also just like medieval Europe in general, uh, with a good amount of more like Italian to Mediterranean feeling, especially on the southern half of Nosferi. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of that kind of soaked in. But then Hyrand is much more like, um, Norwegian, Scandinavian, you know, the more Nordic kind of countries uh, for and cultures for up there. But a, a bit of a different or a bit of a twist because they've got magic, they've got science, they've got um, all sorts of things. Hyrand, long ago in its history, were the ones that invented the Warforged, for example, and had like the flying cities and all those kinds of things that, you know, pull from Forgotten Realms fantasy and other just popular fantasy. Um, the final of these three empires, uh, to make the full circle around the Nomen Saw Sea, uh, the final one on the uh, east, I'm really bad with my directions, on the eastern side is Brevtensa. And so if the other two were more Europe and uh, other places, this one is more inspired by the United States, actually. Um, okay. I love doing like, southern accents. I'm not good at them, but I love doing them. I also love doing like Minnesota accents because, of course, I'm, I'm from here, so I love to you know, slip into it. So if they meet someone from Northern Brevtensa, they're going to have a stronger accent. Whereas if they meet someone from Southern Brevtensa, their accent's going to be completely different. Gotcha. Um, but it's modeled after the United States uh, in a way that 
Uh, money is power in Brevtensa. If you know Nosferi, religion, high rent magic, Brevtensa, it's money. That's what that's what people care about. That's what rules the country. Uh, there's no monarchy here. There's no council of mages ruling over everything. Uh, here uh, is the merchants that rule, and the merchant princes, you could say. Okay. Um, they do have a council, Council of the Vault, but it's if you have enough money, if you have a big bag of gold, and you come to Brevtensa, you can you can buy your noble ship, basically. Right. So just idea. straight plutocracy, like openly. Yeah, just just open about it. That, that money is key. Money is everything. They they allow anybody of any religion, and so uh, my design intent with that was if I have players who want to worship some forgotten realms religion that isn't in my world. I'm not going to stop them from doing so. And so I want a place for that. So Brevtensa is kind of my place where, okay, you want to be from some foreign land or you want to worship some god that isn't normally seen, you're from Brevtensa most likely then. Uh, Kind of to help my players root themselves in the world, even if it's something that normally isn't part of my world. Yeah, I've got a similar rule, but my players have never used it where... You know, it's uh, I do my my world's based off the Greek gods, but you know, there's all sorts right. of other pagan religions that exist around that time. None of them uh, went to bite for that. None of them went to Wanda going for one of the pagan religions. Well, I mean, I wasn't thinking like uh, I don't know, Skior or something. I, I meant more like you want to be like a a cleric of Palor. Like, oh, I see what you mean. Okay. You could just drop in Palor and say it's it's a pagan religion. Yeah, you don't yeah. have like the huge faith that backs it up, like in uh, Greyhawk, but it's still there. Right, and none of them have taken you up on that. They all stick to the stick to your like homebrew or your the Greek ones. Yep, yep, no, okay. nothing outside of that so far. Huh. I've been toying with a little bit of Norse god stuff, but I was the one that introduced that as well. See, I have like the opposite. Until recently, I didn't have any players that would do my my religions. They always would do just some some Forgotten Realms one or like Thor or something, you know. But I have I have now had a one or two clerics of religions in my game, so it has been fun yeah. to have that. That that might be because my players have been playing for a lot longer than yours. Like we've been playing for twenty years, so we kind of had our little. Oh, time yeah. with the established gods and now we're kind of moving on to whatever works with the world that already exists okay yeah wow that is, yeah that's definitely different than mine uh, most of my players have been only been playing for a few years so a lot of mine are usually brand new yeah um, so that makes sense. there's this there's this feeling you know D you can do anything but it still feels like there's maybe not a wall but like a curtain so there's a little bit of a barrier that you don't want to cross if you don't feel secure enough to go outside of uh I'm losing the metaphor here, but you get the idea. No, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. There's a there's an implied barrier there that this is what the world of D and D is supposed to be, and so these are these are the gods that are supposed to be in the world. So it makes sense. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for going through all three of the the places. I had a question about the the golden snow back at Nosferi. Yeah. Is there a a story behind how that started, or is it just like it's magic, whatever? Yeah. Um. Out of game story, I wanted something interesting, something that really would just be a visual symbol that would, because Nosfarians, I mean, all three Nomad Empire, uh, like the peoples of these empires, they they're all arrogant. They all think that their empire is the best and the right way to do things. Um, but I need a good reason for Nosfarians to be like extra about it. And having clouds that literally rain down golden snow, so the mountains shine with gold when you see the sunset coming down. I thought that was a 
you know, cool, interesting idea in game. I haven't fully decided yet. I know that it has been touched by some sort of divine presence that isn't necessarily the the gods that they worship in this country. Um, okay. But I haven't decided if it's a powerful being that did worship their gods and wanted this land to be blessed with gold or something, or if a god once like touched down here and just their presence causes this to happen. So okay. still forming up on that. My players haven't actually gone near these mountains. They haven't seen them in the distance. They haven't gone close. They haven't visited any of the cities nearby, the capital, none of it. So I've been able to avoid coming up with that reasoning. So it might not even be relevant. Yeah, no, no, I, I, it, I have no clue. Uh, that's how a lot of my stuff is built, is I, I go as my players need it. Um, these days, though, I have been having a lot more fun doing stuff in the background that my players won't ever see, most likely. Uh-huh. Um, I was never a huge history person in school, but recently I've started to have a lot of fun trying to design the history of these empires and like how they started and um, where they've where they've gone, what wars they've had, that kind of thing. Right. So I'm so still that's what got that you to. Out. That's what got you doing the the ten wars and the four great wars you were talking about. Yep, exactly, exactly. And my uh, my players, they they kind of knew this might be happening, but they they might have accidentally kind of started a, an eleventh one. But we'll see. I've got some roles to do behind the screen, and I've got uh, one or two players who have become NPCs. I got to ask them some questions. Because uh, we've had players drop in and out, and so when they do, I you know I keep the I like to keep the characters as NPCs in the world who are there doing stuff. Um, and so one of them is very important. Uh, she's uh, the player has cycled through a couple of characters now, but this her first character in this campaign, they settled her personal quest to find her wife, and uh, she went back to the jungles and this whole ordeal because these elves in the Gukhold jungles, uh, which is um, one of the states of Cambella, I can talk about that in a sec. Uh, they wanted to invade the southern parts of Nosferee. They wanted to retake this land because it used to belong to the elves, that kind of thing. And uh, But that would mean a lot of innocent people dying. And the, the character that this player was playing, uh, Gertie, she didn't like that. So there was this big divorce that happened. And then they uh, there was a little bit of a battle and they eventually negotiated and uh, my players helped helped actually create like a secret uh, new up and coming fourth Noman Empire, um, which is taking because a bunch of the local lords agreed, and so now they're taking a chunk of Nosferi and a chunk of Brevtensa, and then one of the countries to the south, smaller place, and they're combining it all into a new Noman Empire. So it's okay. very exciting for me right now because I get to I get to think about what this new country will be like and everything. All right, yeah, that that type of nation creation is always difficult but has definitely happened several times yeah yeah it's been it's been very fun um the the last sort of setting i have is the states of cambella uh which describes basically everywhere south of nosferi and brevtensa because they're the two southern ones of these three everywhere south of that is the states of cambella a collection of over a hundred countries nations city states wildernesses that are just unpopulated and unsettled um it begins with a lot of jungles and stuff in the north eventually becoming savannas huge deserts uh eventually more savannas and then back to more jungle forest mountains until eventually becomes arctic down the bottom because my world is like a pangea 
Uh, that's what I wanted to do when I was designing it. I do have technically, you know, Galson is a continent. It's about the size of Australia, roughly, maybe a little bit smaller. So it's a continent, but most of the world is on one big continent. And so uh, Noman empires, uh, Nomanites, the people that live in these three empires, they think that they're in the middle of the world, that the most important things that happen, happen here. And somewhat to an extent, they're right, because these are mm. three most powerful places. But there's a whole world of, of over 100 countries to the south. Um, and one of my campaigns, the one that actually successfully completed, was way across the world from Nosferi, way in the south, uh, southeast, way down there, um, in a land called Zarin. Uh, starts with an X. And okay. uh, that one, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to do one in the states of Campbella, just to kind of see what it would be like to do a smaller country, not this huge land. Um, and it was it was really fun. My players enjoyed it. They liked having a smaller country where they had borders they could go to and you know interact with other cultures more easily. Whereas in Osiri, Breftensa, Hyren, because they really don't like each other, uh, it's a little bit harder to get from border to border. I sometimes. See. Yeah, having that freedom to explore can definitely be be fun to do. Yeah. Um, the other big fun like world building part that I have about the states of Cambella is there's always a war in Cambella is like the phrase and that's kind of what I have just as like a general rule is that no matter where in Cambella there's always a war going on either it's brewing it's happening right now or it's like just concluding but there's somewhere somewhere out there a war well and, I mean a hundred states in a medieval period yeah. yeah it would be hard for there not to be yeah, exactly. And so the borders are constantly changing. Map makers are just screwed. They have they have no chance. And so I, I had to make a magic map making guild where uh, they have a master map. And if they update <laughs> that master map, all the maps that are tied to that map will also update. So nobles and very wealthy people in the states of Cambella have these maps to like track where the countries are, what what's the status. You know, they can see, oh, the borders over here have changed. And this map making guild have to send their members just out into the world constantly to get updates. And so there's kind of this rule in Cambella that you you don't kill a mage from mild. You don't attack them. If you meet one on the road, you don't rob them. Uh, you let them pass uh, because you may be messing with something that you don't know. And they often act as like almost emissaries or like uh, they solve problems sometimes where they go as part of their journey. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but the Campbell I also created, again, same, same thing with Brev Tensa. I like to keep things really open. I don't like nailing things down. So I wanted, you know, if a player wants a nation, to exist and because they want a specific theme but it just doesn't exist in my current world i can just toss it somewhere in the states of campbell and say boom you're from here like one of my players uh he completely honestly he wrote the entire country for me uh he created a, a country that was entirely uh leonids and tabaxis and had intricate culture and and customs and who they tr what countries they trade with nearby and all this stuff wrote wow, really cool. good lore and it's all just part of my world now um, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, that that was my goal, is that I can just kind of, wherever they want to toss in, this is where it goes. Um, um, the When you said 100, that made me think of the Warring States period in China, where there was, like, f supposedly 100 states that were warring. It's not really clear how many there were, but it, it very quickly whittled its way down to, I think, seven. 
Really? Uh, seven? Wow. Yep. D- yeah, down from 100. How Do you know how long that took? I'm not very big on history, sorry. Um, I'm looking at it now. Um, uh, I, I mean, when you say the Warring States period starts, is kind of vague. Right, it's kind of hazy. Yeah, I, so I you could say that happened in 30 years, but you could also say it happened in 300 if you're counting the sort of period before it where there was... Um, the period before the Warring States period is when... There was an emperor in China, but that emperor had like almost no power. That's the spring and autumn period, is what it's called. Um, oh. So there was this heavy feudalization of the different lords that served underneath the emperor, mm-hmm. um, and they were fighting with each other and basically ignoring the emperor. So there was a lot of like different states that were forming, but they were all still like saying, "Oh yes, we serve the emperor, and I can do it better than that guy. So I'm gonna go take over his land." <laughs> Um, right. So that was the idea they were doing. Um, and then the Warring States period starts in about 480 BC um, when the the emperor is, uh, I think, actually killed or something like that. So there no longer is an emperor. It's now just, yeah, we're just fighting each other. We're not pretending that we're serving the emperor anymore. <laughs> right, right. That's kind of funny. They just eventually just did away with it. They're like, yeah, we're fighting. We're fighting now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually kind of reminds me of my my origins for the states of Campbell, because similarly, it's it used to be a one big empire, um, supposedly. That's what most like commoners they would have no knowledge, or they maybe heard rumors uh, of the once empire, the one time that all the states of Campbella and parts of Nosferi and Brevtensa were taken by just this one empire that controlled all of it. But then it broke up and has never recovered since. So it's kind of similar mm-hmm. to similar to that, I suppose. Well, obviously, China's more united now, but... Well, yeah. The, um, there's also this, like, uh, idea in China that there's a cycle of division and unification. Okay. Um, that's expressed in The Three Kingdoms, which is the classic Chinese novel that the Dynasty Warriors games are based off of. Right, right. Um. So the Warring States period, everything divides because it's been unified for too long. And then when it's divided for too long, it comes back together again. And there's this like sort of breathing cycle of division. Right. And That's pretty neat. Yeah. The, like it kind of like you can almost, you could almost, if you were to watch on a map, you could almost watch it like it's breathing or like it's uh, living. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's in a unified portion of its history now. Um, but you know, on a longer scope, I, I'm sure that there are some people that say, yeah, it's not going to be this way forever. It'll, it'll divide again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like before the the communists took over, it was divided. Um, right. And it was divided even further when the Japanese were getting involved. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You, you could say that there was three different governments in China with the Chiang Kai-shek, um, Mao, and the Japanese. So. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, get, getting a little too far into history there. Um, oh, no, it's okay. I, I, <laughs> I like learning about it now because I, I retained absolutely none of it through middle school and high school, so. Um, or college. Well, uh, if we want to talk about podcasts, I'm currently listening to a Chinese history podcast and have been doing it okay. for a while now. So that's, that's where all the okay. knowledge is. Some of the knowledge is coming from. I also read read a bunch of it before. This was time to get like deeper deeper knowledge about different periods. Okay. Okay. Do you dig into history just because you like it, or are you doing it like to help inform your world? Or I mean, 
I'm sure it's a mix of both, but... Yeah, uh, I would say it's more because I like it. I mean, to help inform my world is definitely a byproduct of it, but it's not the primary reason. It's just because I, I like okay, historical cool. stories. So I, I'd say it often bleeds into my DMing style where I try to have like a war and a, a challenge where they have to defeat an enemy during a war as part of the campaign. Oh, yeah. Like in the um, middle of the battlefield or something? The guy go find like that one person and go take him down? Or more like there's a big monster in the middle of the battle? Or, like, what do you no. mean? Specifically? Like, yeah, they got to go take that guy down. Like, that's literally what the, the next uh, few sessions we're going to be doing. They're in the middle of like the climactic battle. Um, and they got to like scour the battlefield, try to survive, try to find the, the one person they're here for. Mm-hmm. That yeah. can be challenging. Yeah, one of them is the king. One of them's a bodyguard. One of them is his son. So they got this oh. little like crew okay. that are going together and trying to find like the other the other king in the battle. Um, and the the king has like a warlord that's serving him. That's um, the father of one of the the players. Okay. So, yeah, there's a little little tension there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, yeah get excited it for a bit, big war. It is a bit different because it's not like a dungeon or like a exploration thing for this particular adventure. It's like the adventure is there is a battle and you got to take out all these people. Um, <laughs> and no, you're not getting a long rest. <laughs> deal with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, deal with it. Even even if you rest for the night, that's not a long rest. That's that's a that's just a rest, not a long one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. My players are also going towards war soon. It'll be it'll be one of the first times I've done like a big scale war thing. Um, there's a major demon invasion in the southern Spet territory of Nosferi. Basically, uh, like a fifth of the country, a, a fifth or a sixth of the country has been taken out by demons and, and taken over by demons. And Nosferi is one of the most powerful armies in the world, and they're holding them back. But Nosferi is kind of hurting right now because. Uh, at the same time as this started happening, uh, wouldn't you know it, <laughs> a magical rebellion, actually three, were sparked and began like taking a lot of the northern parts of the of the nation. So oh, okay. uh, they're in a rough rough spot right now where people are unhappy, don't want to join the army, that kind of thing, and there's just a lot of mess right now for them. Um, and so one of the rebellions is kind of helping them. But also not. They're waiting to hope that their numbers will dwindle so they can strike in. Um, but my players, once they resolve the current arc they're on, uh, they're going to be coming down here because it's the last big thing on their checklist. It's kind of the, the like climax of the campaign, you know, the big battle like you were, you were saying with yours. Right. Uh, and the one leading, supposedly, this, this cult that summoned the demons is one of the characters' brothers. And they've cool. known that this has been happening since like the start of the campaign in-game about like six, five or six months ago. And they've been just ignoring it, putting it off, and now it's become a very big deal. So... I'm excited to have them dive into it and, and get into some big demon fights. Yeah, that, that sounds fun. Yeah. I wanted to ask a little bit more about the, the different uh, countries that you have. So, yeah. Um, specifically more about the, the religious systems for Nosfari and Highrend. Yeah, of course. Rev Tenta, like you said, is unorganized, so there isn't really much more I can get from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Nosfari, you said, is uh, like a super religious society is it like a theocratic society where the church and the government are the same thing yes yes uh the kin church 
um, which is a religion based around the balance of of light and dark, good and evil, hot and cold, uh, okay. represented by uh, a circle split in half, white on the right side, black on the left. Um, they they're heavily religious in Nostrand. It's heavily tied theocratic system, like you said. They um, the bishop, the archbishop has uh, the Ken bishop is what they're called has probably the, as much power as the empress that currently sits the throne, um, or nearly as much. Technically, um, some historians or like politicians would argue that uh, the queen's the queen's bishop, uh, who is kind of the one of the bishops of the church, but not as high up as the high bishop. Uh, but it's like her personal bishop, the the church's whisper into the queen's ear type of queen's a thing. Queen's bishop? What is he, a chess piece? Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has, has her ear, is able to, able to influence her a lot. And uh, like many, she's very religious. So um, that character is, is very important. It's actually one of my players' uh, father. Uh, they're like their character's father and they don't like him so uh that's a that's a tension to be resolved at some point in this campaign they met once and it was very tense um all right gotcha uh but yeah so it's it's very tied to everything they do uh everybody everybody is expected to go to worship at least twice a day um they have it at noon and they have it at midnight and they have it at dawn and they have it at dusk so it's kind of you pick one set or you pick the other set and you go and if you can't make it to a templar church then you worship where you are but generally you know people they try to get you to go in okay um Highrend is is opposite whereas like religion is everything in those three Highrend it's it's a service they do have temples you know any city is going to have at least one Haus der Invention. Uh, a lot of the names and stuff are German, because I used to, I learned German in high school. Not good at it, but but I like to name stuff after it. Um, yep. It's the Haus der Invention. House of Invention is the one place where there are temples, or where there are, um, there are effigies to different gods, and you can come to worship. They do sometimes have the kin, though those often get destroyed. Because uh, people Hyrendians don't like Nosfarians, um, right. but they have some other other gods from other countries here and there. A lot of them are much more like uh, focused on magic or invention, creativity, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but they're they're like a service, you know. You you go there because you you broke like your arm got chopped off and you need it regrown or you you need a wound closed. Obviously, that one is going to be a big cost, big expense, but. Right. Um, they're like a service, and and not only are they like a service, they're like a service you don't like to deal with. It's like people who like think that garbage collectors are dirty or something, you know, don't it's a low job or something like that. But it's a necessity. Yeah. We absolutely need it to survive, and to thrive as a, as a civilization, you know, that kind of thing. And so Hyrandians have this interesting relationship where they need this service, but they don't like it. <laughs> They'll actively protest a new temple being built, but. They also desperately need the healing and the medicinal services they provide. Okay. Um, so they sort of resent that they need to get that service it, from a higher power instead of being able to generate it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. That's where Hyrendian pride is centered in the self and being able to strive for yourself, create something new, um, and to contribute to the country. Uh, whereas... Those three opposite the power and the the focus is on a higher being, um, and then Brev Tensa it's just money. So, 
my idea for Gu Cran is going to be because um, it's elves mostly. They'll have a more like druidic religion that may form because uh, a, a lot of the ones who are from Nosferi, they're going to be worshiping the kin. And so there's going to be some tensions for a while, but I think eventually they'll, they'll land somewhere druidic and power will come from mostly from nature to kind of create this quartet of empires. Gotcha. Trying to keep easy, heavy themes. I like that because, again, a lot of my players are new, and so it, it helps them a lot if these countries at least have like a bullet point list of like what's the big main ideas, and they they can spread like butter across the entire country and then their whole culture you know right um so i try to make them easy to identify if they meet a brev tensen they they generally know brev tensen ideals they know how a brev tensen may act um in comparison to an osfarian that they meet uh so i found it helps a lot to kind of keep those things simple and very on the face okay um and for nosfar you said it was theocratic but you also said that the there was like an emperor and a queen that were outside of the church because they have bishops yes yes right yeah technically speaking it is a uh, monarchy but the church is so heavily tied to everything that the church has a significant amount of power Uh, most of the uh, clerics there a lot of the priests and things they also are are business um, folk as well and like you know politicians they're ruling as much as they are uh, preaching worship and things um, so it's it's very heavily tied. Uh, you would never see an event that has the gold queen, the the empress. I call her the queen just because it's it's easier for people to say sometimes than the full title empress, at least in like common Nosferatu you know, people, civilians, peasants, and things. They may just call her the gold queen, but technically she is an empress, and uh, she has the ultimate rule over the country. But. Uh, there are a lot of things she couldn't do, would not be able to do because of uh, the religion. Um, in its history and its past, there have been some times where uh, the emperor or empress has actually made la- magic legal in Nosferi, because right now it's illegal. Um, oh, okay. So in, in some parts of its history, it's, it's a bit more rare, but there are a few periods where magic was legal. And one was recent enough, relatively, that... Uh, the oldest people living in, in Nosferi, like the elves especially, um, maybe the dwarves too, they can remember what it was like when Nosferi had magic and was able to compete a bit more with Hyrend. Um, it's hard to fight a, a, an army of wizards, unless, you, of course, you have an army of clerics to keep you healed. But right. I'm getting off topic here. <laughs> um, so going a little bit wider on religion, you said you have like your own set of gods that you developed for the world as well as sort of allowing people to bring in whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about that custom pantheon? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't have one. I have like sets of religions. Uh, so Nosri, uh, the, the kin um, over in Gallison, so way off and away, uh, is the original country where the six servitors were worshipped. And that's um, one of my pantheons that I have. And there, uh, the Six Servitors, they're much more human gods. Uh, for them, I took a lot of inspiration from, like, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, where um, how they have the seven in that one. Oh, right. Yep. And they're represented by people and very um, human ideals. They're not like the god of fire or something. You know, it's they they represent human ideals and human capabilities. And right. 
Yeah, did you go with the like three of each uh sex and each of them at a different age like they do for the, the <laughs> seven? Um, let me let me double check real quick. I don't know if I was quite that big. My group hasn't done a ton with the six servers recently just because they yeah, they're on the other side of the world and the one that the one campaign that did take place over there, uh they just had one cleric and they didn't do a ton with them. Um give me just one sec here. Because I don't remember Okay. Um, one, so the first one, solo turn, uh, represents earth, agriculture, hard work, that kind of thing. Um, okay. Usually like a, a human man, usually like a farmer um, or some sort of laborer, you know. Uh, Urfinia, uh, life, sunshine, hospitality. Um, she is sometimes a human, uh, sometimes a dwarf, sometimes a halfling. It kind of depends on where in the country and just whoever runs that church and what they decide to have them represented by um, that she can change a little bit uh, but she is usually a woman uh trudis uh law balance honesty and mercantilism kind of like seeking the truth and making a fair deal right. uh always represented by a dwarf or a gnome and usually a man not always but usually a man uh and usually blind blindfolded as well uh passivia art change creativity um, you know, for my the Forge clerics and the Trickster clerics and that kind of thing. I kind of wish they had, like, an art class in D&D or, like, an art uh, religion in D&D. That'd be kind of cool, but... Um, oh, that bards one... are kind of an art class. <laughs> what? Well, bards are kind of an art class. Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what I, I guess I mean, like, um, like visual arts more so, or like crafted arts, not songs and things. But you could spin a bard as a, as a crafter of sorts, an artist of sorts, I suppose. You you might be able to make an art artificer work the same way, depending on how you flavored what they were doing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Easily, I mean, blacksmiths easily can be like artificers and stuff. But you could be even more flavorful. You could do like a maybe they're into like paper folding, origami, you know? Yeah, yeah. That could be kind of yeah. sick. It's functionally going to be the same. But. Yeah. Um, but anyway, passivia... it is a bit difficult because you can't have like a someone painting something during a combat. Yeah. That yeah, that's the hard part. And then at that rate, like if you say, okay, you you magically whip your paintbrush and it paints it so fast, uh, it's a little bit harder to believe. Yeah. So, I, I agree. That's kind of the one thing really stopping is that crafting is inherently something out of combat. Maybe it's the type of thing they 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 make it ahead of time and during downtime and then they you know whip it out during combat for the effect. Who knows? But yeah, that's what I was saying about an artificer is that like yeah. you know they have like uh, I don't know a a grenade that they make and instead of it being a grenade it could be like a a painting of an explosion and they throw it. <laughs> it they you know they do a little card flip to get it where it needs to go. Yeah, and yeah. And they say the command word, and then the painting of the explosion actually explodes. <laughs> I'm imagining like a canvas, and I'm imagining like a tiny gnome just like frisbee tossing, like just a fireball out there. But it's just this canvas, just whoo, it like whips out there, boom, just erupts. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. good. I like it. I might, I might have to steal that. I might have to steal that for later. I'm, I might keep that one. Yeah, go for it. Um. Anyway, uh, Passivia, always an elf, um, but androgynous. Never distinctly male or female, always androgynous on that one. Uh, Yelder, usually like a dwarf or a human, in rare occasions has been represented by, or I guess half-orc isn't as rare, but in rare occasions, a dragonborn. 
Um, oh, okay. But Yelda represents wilderness, strength, and travel. Um, usually wearing like you know a bear's cloak, a, like a a heavy traveler who's going going deep into the wilderness. And then, um, and that usually Yelder is usually a man. I never actually like nailed Yelder down uh, much on those details, but usually represented by a man, but not always. Okay. Uh, and then Arenya, almost always a woman, uh, representing honor, sacrifice, and passion. Uh, it's kind of my war. Uh, my war domain so like her she usually is like holding a sword that has been plunged through like a, a heart and that's kind of okay. like how she's represented gotcha um so yeah this is this is one of my pantheons uh i have like other fringe gods here and there and religions that i haven't really used a ton just because not many people have worshipped them um so far i've had a cleric of trudis and i've had a Honestly, I don't. Oh, I've had a couple from, like I said, Forgotten Realms here and there. Um, but only I've only had a cleric of Trudis. Otherwise, I have a, a couple other just random religions here and there that I just made for fun, just to kind of fill in the house dare invention a little bit. Um, one of them that I kind of like that one of my players is using now, but he hasn't dove too deep into it yet, is I'm going to try to say it because I was dumb and named it something that's hard to say. I really should change it. Uh, Metallurgenary. It's like metal, metallurgy, and imaginary, kind of like all combined together. And they worship uh, uh, the Flaming Mistress, herself the Inferno, a goddess of the Forge. Um, but that religion is, is very different, because unlike a lot of religions where they're preaching on the streets, they're trying to collect more people, they're going on you know, missions, sending missionaries, that kind of thing, uh, metallurgenary is a very private religion. And that's why it's perfect for Hyrand, because most people in Hyrand don't want to know, don't want other people knowing if they worship something or not, because it's seen as lesser or embarrassing, etc. And so metallurgy is perfect because one of their main things is they don't tell other people about their god. They don't they don't talk about their religion. Um, if you what you truly want to know, you have to find one of their priests who is someone who worships and is willing to teach you. But often they aren't. There's usually a lot of like test and kind of you got to prove that you're really here to worship and not just here for a quick fix or something. What was the the name of it again? Metallurgination. Metallurgenary. I'll type it for you in in the Discord because spelling it will take a while. Yeah. Yeah. Metallurgenary. Okay. M e t a l l u r g i n a r y. Okay. Perfect. Uh, one of my players is one in the because that one that completed down in Zarin. Now they're across the Snaking Sea in a untamed wilderness, essentially. And uh, one of them is playing as uh, a, a uh, he's a barbarian, but he's the zealot barbarians, and he worships uh, he worships the flaming mistress. But we haven't gotten too much detail on it yet. We haven't dove too deep in. He has met one smith who also worships, but because it's a Nosfarian colony that they're living in, uh, he, they can't really talk about it because they'll there's there's punishment if you worship other gods in Nosferi. So oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, and that campaign is taking place uh, e west, yeah, west of Nosferi across the Snaking Sea, which is this like supernatural, magical sea where it's it's not super wide. It is big because the scale of size we're working with here is very large. You know, takes like a month to sail across. But part of that is because it's very turbulent in the center. A normal boat, un unaided by magic, 
is it's impossible to get across. You will get chewed up by the storm and the waves. Um, but uh, the clerics of uh, the clerics of the kin have Nosferi. They are able to balance the waters and make them smooth. So Nosferi kind of has a special in to try to colonize this continent. Unfortunately for them, uh, they've tried many times before and failed because it's like a very dark. My players asked me to combine jungle Indiana Jones style with gothic Castlevania, not quite horror, but a more darker campaign. They wanted that combined. Um, so our, my code name for the campaign, because they haven't made a, a group name yet, is uh, New Dark Junglevania. So that's that's their current one that they're on. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that was a very detailed dive on a bunch of different religions in your world, which is pretty cool. Thank you. Um, so for, for races in your world, you mentioned a lot of the like standard 5th edition races like dwarves, elves, uh, humans, dragonborn, half-orc. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you don't really have like specific countries, maybe in the states of Kambala, but... Um, because you have the three big empires, it seems like there aren't really specific regions that the races are living in. Is it still kind of the traditional representations where elves are like more magical and kind of uh, stick up their butt, um, stuck up people, <laughs> and dwarves are gruff alcoholics that live <laughs> in the mines? Um, or is, are you doing something else with them? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, if I had to like uh, line my general flavor of fantasy for my world up with like an existing sort of setting, like Lord of the, you know, Token, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or something else, I think mine is actually probably closer to like Forgotten Realms. I don't have a lot of experience in Forgotten Realms, but from what I can tell, it's re- relatively um, metropolitan. You know, you can find a lot of different races in a lot of different places, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there are some like trends here and there, at least within the Nomen empires. Uh, humans, I mean, I, I kind of keep to, sorry, at first, I kind of keep to, like you said, the general stereotypes of dwarves, like the mines and elves, like the forests and humans just go everywhere, etc. I follow those to a degree, but then I kind of say, okay, well, obviously it's not where the only ones are. It's where would the rest go and why would they go there? Um, but you still have pockets of concentrated populations. Um, humans are everywhere. Um, they're most concentrated in Nosferi, though. Um, humans and halflings especially. Uh, I, those two races, because magic is outlawed, magic is seen as evil, magic is seen as sinful. Um, so doing magic is bad. And so if you're a magical race like elves who can just do magic whenever, or tieflings or dragonborns, mm-hmm. like those, any race like that, they're they're on the lowest of the hierarchy, the social hierarchy in Nosferi. Oh, um, the highest that any race that isn't a human or a... Uh, halfling that has risen is a dwarf has risen to the rank of master smith uh or ken smith te- ken grand smith technically speaking if we want to get real you know specific on terms um she's she is the highest ranking dwarf the highest ranking of any race that isn't human or halfling uh, gotcha. the other is a bishop uh, one of the actual bishops of the kin church is a half orc um, so those are the two they're highest otherwise it's all lower down. Um, if you were a tiefling and no free, depending on, you know, 
where you live, you it may be hard for you to like purchase a a shop to run a business or something. Okay. Um, maybe some challenges there. Uh, and so you'll find a lot more humans, a lot more halflings. Every bar you go into, you're gonna have um, stools that can kind of be put on top. You know, like almost like a a, a high chair. You know, uh-huh. to allow halflings to sit at the table with humans and everything. Um, that's just like a normal thing happens in all the bars and inns. Um, get your booster seat. Yeah, exactly. Get your booster seat. And of course, people make jokes about it, but it's it's more of a fun thing. Not nothing against them because again, halflings are way up there uh, with humans. So, um, opposite to this, then, is if you go to high end. Uh, there are not as many humans. There are still a lot. They are still probably in like the top five main populations. Um, but you'll find a lot more elves. You'll find a lot more tieflings. A lot more dragonborns. Uh, to the north of Hyrand is a dragon-ruled country called Sontar Dove. And that's where dragonborns are mostly mostly from. So a lot of dragonborns in Hyrand. A lot of elves, uh, gnomes. And then the fifth would be humans then. Um, there are still dwarves, there are still halflings and, and uh, Janasi and all these other races, but mm-hmm. the ones that are most represented are going to be those ones. Gotcha. Dwarves aren't too far behind humans, though. They're pretty much tied. There's a lot of uh, mountains in Hyrand. So your world seems more like filled in when it comes up. Have you yep. had uh, like a race race's origin point that you've described yet, or is it still sort of up in the air when it when in um, an explanation you'll think of one. Yeah, dragonborns I do have nailed down. They are from Sontar Dove, which is a land ruled by dragons, supposedly the original dragons uh, settled there who were mm-hmm. uh, mages who tried to become dragons with you know true polymorph. That's just a thing they can do you know, if they get that strong. And so this, these mages became these dragons, and eventually they wanted subjects, and then um, they made polymorph, and eventually dragonborns okay um i don't have as like a creation of some wizard or some god necessarily uh more of a of a natural kind of formation but again i kind of have sontar dove not entirely nailed down so i imagine there's just a lot of draconic creatures there in general okay. so uh otherwise uh nailing down specific origins of races no there is one that i have nailed down the origin for but it is one that I cannot talk about because my players are uh, the group that's over in the the colony out in the wilderness over there. Uh, they are dealing with um, some very secretive things this campaign. So, okay, they are not allowed to hear that one. That's a common problem on the podcast. I, I imagine. I imagine. I do have one secret that I wrote down earlier because I've been listening to the past episodes, you know, and um, I like giving my players secrets occasionally. So I wrote one down earlier, but. Uh, I can give that later. Okay. Um, I I can't think of any other races though that I have specifically nailed down like an origin story for. Um, all of these races are kind of leftovers from the Once Empire, who ruled basically the entire world, like all the way up to almost into Hyrand or pretty much into Hyrand. So they're kind of the remains behind once the once empire disappeared uh it it was you know potentially like 2000 years ago or so i have a date down but again i know some of my players are listening you know thousands of years ago on that scale and 
they just were gone. And um, some of the slaves they had remained, some of the like kingdoms that they had ruled over, some of the people who somehow refused to go or didn't go for whatever reason, whatever happened to the Once Empire, still a big secret from a campaign. Um, they didn't go, and then they picked up the pieces, and that became the rest of the world. Most of it was down in the states of Cambella, but um, some of the people sailed north and further and, and found these other countries, and those became the Noman empires eventually. Kind of the people that had to pick up the pieces when the world broke apart. Gotcha. Um, there also was another very climactic event, so that kind of caused a lot of issues, too, uh, that happened after that point. So, you know, I don't, I don't really have a... It's a roundabout way of saying I don't really have an origin, no. Because, like you said, I, I do nail my things down as we go, so... Okay. Uh. Yeah, I, I mean, the typical one is just like, oh, yeah, Corellian Larthinian made the elves, and Morden made the dwarves, and Yolanda mm-hmm. made the halflings. There we go, done. Made by gods, yeah. 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 It's a common one. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. Have you read um, Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson at all? Uh, I've been told to read it, and oh, I've not good. made made way to it yet. Okay. Well, if you ever get around to reading it, it's very good. I won't spoil anything, but uh, the origin story for a group of the peoples in that book, very good. Not a not something I saw coming, and I was like, wow, that's that's crazy. So, um, it probably isn't that crazy in the grand scheme, but. When I was first reading, I was like, wow, that's that's creative. It's well done. But I don't want to say anything, just in case if you yeah, read yeah, it later, because it is a very big spoiler for that series. Yes, there there are a lot of there are a lot of things on my like to read list. I think I've got like thirty different books. And Holy it's cow. Just sort of, yeah. I'll I'll get there. It's just whenever <laughs> motivation strikes me to go back to fantasy. Yeah. We get there at someday. The at the moment, I'm making my way through the uh, Pokemon comics. Um, oh, <laughs> my, yeah. My oh, yeah. How far are you? How far are you? Um, I'm on volume seven at the moment. Okay. Okay. Which, wait, which, um, when you say Pokemon comics, you mean like the, the, like the original series, like manga, or are you talking like... The Pokemon Adventures comics. Pokemon Adventures comics? I don't know. Uh, so there's a couple different comics they did. So I, I read Let's Go Pikachu, which was about Ash. Okay, okay. Which was a, I wouldn't say retelling of the the TV show, but kind of followed the same plot. Like there's a couple of the issues that were basically the same episode as a particular one. Okay, okay. It had a more mature vibe. Like there was a lot of like sexual innuendo between Ash and Misty. Um, and she's wearing like a little black dress, right? Uh, no, she's wearing like you know the halter top and showing off her okay, never mind belly button the whole time, right? Okay, never mind that. I keep um, thinking I think she wore a black dress at some point. Okay. Um, so there was that one. I've read that one, but uh, Pokemon Adventures is actually based off of the video games. Right. Um. So because like the main character is named Red, and his yeah, rival yeah, yeah. is named Blue, and then there's a third uh, character, a girl named Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on a Pokemon adventure, like just you know, following the same path you do in the games, pretty much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they take out Team Rocket, and then the Elite Four actually end up being the villains for this second arc with Yellow as the main character. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, I have read this. That that's it's good. It's good. Are you gonna? Are you planning on reading past, um, like past Yellow at all to the later generations? Yeah, I'm thinking I'll probably do the whole thing. Okay. Um, I'm at uh 7 was about the point I stopped when I was reading it last time. Mm-hmm. So 
so far it's just been sort of review, <laughs> but <laughs> right still having on. fun with it, rereading. Things um, you've read, yeah. Yeah. My favorite, if you do get to it, is uh, Ruby and Sapphire. Uh, that was that was my favorite. Oh, and okay. Emer- and Emerald eventually, but uh, Ruby and Sapphire. That was the one I liked the most. I only read maybe the first like five or six uh, like um, generations because I, in my head, I based them on the the games and stuff. So I've only read the up to like the fifth, I think. But yeah, it's a it's a fun series. Yeah, yeah, I'm liking it. Um. In your survey, you mentioned that you'd played a Pokemon RPG. Yeah, I did. Didn't wasn't yeah. a huge fan of it. Um, I like Fifth Edition a lot. I'm one of those weird people who actually enjoys this exact amount of crunch that Fifth Edition supplies, which to most you know tabletop RPG fans is the most minimal crunch possible. Uh, but um, to new, well, I, mean, I guess you have like more narrative dice systems, I suppose, but. <laughs> it's it's the most popular like RPG system. I wouldn't really say that enjoying it is something weird. No, no, no. But um, I more so mean that a lot of people, because like, I browse Reddit a lot, and so a lot of people on there they'll say like, uh, you know, they like they like the more crunch that like Pathfinder or Pathfinder 2E or um or 3.5 you know they like that kind of crunch and flavor and some of my friends um i've had a couple who if they've played D D, the my few players that i've played they've all played those versions and so um to them fifth edition is so much less options so much less rules and, and crunch and all of that um uh-huh. but i like where it's at uh, it's a perfect spot for me because i can be really flexible and on the fly if i need to um or i can be more you know, strategic, tactical, following the rules, you know, get down into the weeds of it if we want to. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, no, I, I didn't like it that much. It also, I just had a bad experience the, the first two times I tried it. Uh, one of the times, a dude threw a fit because he didn't find a skitty in, like, the first encounter, in the first session we did. And I'm like, this is the first session. Like, you're not going to find the Pokemon you want and are looking for. You can calm down, sir. Uh, and then the second time, this one guy, because... I, I can't remember which exact Pokemon tabletop RPG it is, but in one of them, um, you can be like a, a trainer class of like a karate guru or the um, the psychics, you know, how right, in the okay. games you find those people. Um, you can be one and you can actually fight like alongside your Pokemon, which to some I can see as a cool idea, but then you're like fighting other Pokemon. And so this guy wanted to psychically torture a Caterpie on the very first session. I was like, nah, I'm... I don't want to. I don't want to roleplay that. And maybe that's something we should have solved in like a session zero. But this was earlier on in my uh, uh, DMing career. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What just wasn't a fan of the system a ton, and uh, just didn't have a good experience at first. But okay. Yeah, that definitely yeah. sounds more like a social problem. But yeah, um, uh, yeah, agree. If you like fifth edition, why change? I was just curious about the actual system. Oh yeah, no, I've... it's um. Pokemon Tabletop United or Pokemon Tabletop Adventures or Pokemon United. There's there's two of them and I looked into both and I that's why I can't remember which one I played and which one I didn't, but um Yeah, no, they're 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 good. Again, if you if you like a little bit more of the rules and crunch, you like I from what I've heard, if you like the feeling of like three point five, um, they'll they'll feel similar, is what I've been told. So okay. uh, with Pokemon obviously and all of that. Cool. I've actually also played a Pokemon RPG, but it was um, yeah a a joke one that was put out by Dork Tower, uh, called I think Pokemon Cachulu. 
uh, where you're capturing eldritch monsters and using them to fight other 10-year-olds. Okay, okay, that's um, pretty fun. That's you know, pretty you fun. Lose, you lose your soul because you're consuming <laughs> it. Um, that's kind of fun because it kind of captures a little bit of like the early like Yu-Gi-Oh as well, where they because the, they had some of the spirit realm or the the shadow realm stuff going on there. A little yeah, bit. yeah, kind yeah. of like that. But yeah, Pretty it's fun. like if you rolled a one, then like you lost your soul because your the Pokemon turned on you and ate you. Yeah. Did they stay huge? Like, did they? Did they? No, were they just no, monstrous? They were, they were small. They were like three feet tall, just like <laughs> Pokemon. But you know, I had like tentacles coming off of them and bat wings, like the okay. The picture of uh, Pikachu Lu was, uh, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. just Pikachu, but with tentacles. a tentacle mouth and okay. bat wings. Um, you could design your own and, like, just, you know, add tentacles. Now it's bite attack, deals acid damage, or something like that. Right, right. That's pretty fun. It's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't I haven't really dove out of 5e too much. I've I tried a little bit of... Um, uh, monster of the week i did like a, a one or two shot with uh someone who was my dm back then mm-hmm. and he he ran it just for fun it was, it was decent i tried to learn the genesis system because i almost worked at fantasy flight games for a little bit there and uh for one That's of their cool. interview questions you had to like design a creature design a location and design something else um, using the Genesis system or whatever. So I learned okay. that briefly, but I wasn't a fan. That one was too loosey-goosey for me. They had strength on a five-point scale, and I'm like, that's not enough scale, because if an elephant is in the same class as, like, uh, a tiger or something, like, that's, that's just a different scale of strength. I can't handle that, so. Mm, okay. It needs to be a, need just a little bit more crunch for me. And they had this weird mechanic that I couldn't wrap my head around. Um, something about soaking up damage. I don't remember, but at the time I was like, "Nah, this isn't this isn't my thing either." I'm just gonna go back to my safe little five E bubble, you know? Yeah, yeah. That that damage mechanic. I remember that being a bit complicated too. But it's been a while since I looked at the system. Yeah, you've you've played a bunch of a bunch of stuff. I would assume then, since you've been playing so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never actually played Genesis, but I guess I played. I think I played every edition of D and D. Okay. I've played GURPS, Blades in the Dark, Savage World, um, Dungeon World. Wow. Paranoia, um, D twenty Modern, Pathfinder. Um, well, first edition doesn't really count because it's basically just D and D. But second right. edition, um, Hackmaster is another like D and D related D twenty thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I I've read the rules for a couple other systems. So there's the the two D twenty system is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really the type of games I like to play, but the idea is that you have stats for like your skills, but also stats for your um your motivations. Oh, okay. So whenever you roll for something, you use your skill and motivation that's relevant for what you're doing. That's kind of neat. Add them together, and then you use that to add to your D20s that you're rolling. That's pretty neat. And these Uh, motivations, are they something you determine at, like, character creation, I would assume, or are they something that you, like, change over time as your character's motivations change? Yeah, that's right. They change over time. Um, okay. So the idea is that you have, I think it's five, and they're ranked from uh, 
five. I think it's three to six. Mm-hmm. Four, five, six. Uh, no, I guess it's got to be from two to six. So I think there's one of each number. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always have two through six for the motivations. Your skills can increase above their original numbers, but the motivations are always set that way. Um, so if you have a motivation that starts becoming less important for you, then it, then it transitions downward and switches with the other one that's below it. Ah, I see. So it's like a ranking position that actually grants like point the points based on the rank. Okay. Okay. That's that's a that's a good way to do it. If your like ambitious self starts being stronger than when you envisioned in character creation, then you'd move it up a point and your your love thing and whatever, you know, might move down a point. Right. What um what system was this? It's called the two D twenty system. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out later. I'm for my magic school campaign that I'm doing. I I made up two like kind of stats, like one for how famous their character is already when they're coming to the school and how much like funding they have to like pay for school supplies and things. And those can change over time. But this this captures what I'm looking for for on the more like emotional side of things. Yeah, so. that's definitely what it felt like. You know, it's not really like a dungeon crawl or like you know I'm doing this big war thing where it doesn't seem quite as relevant. But, right. Um, it's more. It's yeah. more about the role play and the, the the smaller, more like human moments, those social moments. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think I think I might steal that. Yeah. Um, what I was thinking for the the magic school thing you were talking about. Yeah. Um, isn't the Strixhaven supplement that they made like yeah. perfect for that? Yeah, yeah. I actually I bought it because of it. I I was like, because my players, it, it was very funny. Because around the time, I was kind of like chatting with my players. I'm like, what kind of what kind of campaign could be fun? We could do like a magic cat in high rent because they have these you know magic academies everywhere. Um, we could do one of those, and it'd be you know like a Harry Potter campaign. And around that time, Strixhaven was I think announced or it was announced shortly after or something like that. And I was like, holy crap! <laughs> so I bought it uh, and I built the school kind of around it. I used a lot of the same like principles with their the way they sorted the houses, the different um, colleges, you could say. Right. Uh, I followed a lot of that because I wanted it to feel like the Strixhaven. Because at the time, I was like, what if I made it so you could adapt it? I could just use everything from here and use this part of it. I end up later making changes and writing my own stuff. But um, I I based a lot of it on that and a lot of the ideas there. So, yeah, it it was perfect for it. Um, It was good timing, really. Um, I was going to say, another thing you could use for the the fame portion is there's the rules for honor from third edition. Okay. Okay. I'm making a list here. Are somewhat relevant. Um, I'm not sure if it's quite what you're looking for, but it's like good characters are considered more honorable. And mm. then you get more points based off of like deeds that you've accomplished. Um, it might not be quite right for like a magic school setting though, so I'm not sure it's the the right thing. Uh, I, it may be able to. I'll, I'll check it out because um, part of this campaign is that they're, you know, they're gonna be fighting each other at the end, and they know that from the beginning. Their characters even know that from the beginning. They're gonna have to enter this big tournament, this wizard tournament at the end, and uh, so there's like a little chance for some like backstab. There's a little bit of chance to be like a little bit nefarious. Like I, in part of my notes, I'm sending them and stuff and going to be telling them is that like they can make an evil character in this campaign pretty easily as long as they're like lowercase e 
Um, so having that honor can actually be pretty good too. Um, the fame was more like, you know, because I'm trying to pull off the high school slash college vibe almost, you know, a lot of those right. fun stereotypes and, and cliches to play around. And, uh, and so the fame idea was that, hey, like if you're coming to school, maybe you have like a reputation already because um, your parents are nobles or something. Um, right. I think this works really well for at least guiding how I may want to do that fame over the course of their their years and, and as their score changes. So it'll be good to look at. Yeah. Um, and also for the funding portion, um, that reminds me a lot of how D20 Modern uses a, a wealth system. Yeah. Okay. Where you have like a wealth number, like, uh, I don't know, someone who works at McDonald's has like wealth five where they can barely afford an apartment and have to worry about eating occasionally. Mm. Um, and then it, it moves up from there. So your wealth level kind of sets what you can afford. So you, if there's something that ca is a wealth level five item, mm -hmm. a person who is at wealth level five can, can have it. Right. Um, and then they can get like one six item every month or something. Okay. One okay. seven item every year, and anything above that, they have to roll to afford it. And if they do buy it, their wealth level drops by one. Right, because you're you're tanking your wealth at that point. Yeah, because you. Yeah, like you have to sell your couch or something to afford <laughs> right, the new right. TV. Um, okay. And yeah, then that, like there's stuff that happens throughout the campaign that raises your wealth level, and then obviously spending is what decreases it. Yeah, um, that's that's. Honestly, pretty close to what I had in mind. Uh, the idea was that, like, maybe there's, like, a patron that's sponsoring them to go to school. Or maybe, like, um, I have these, like, guilds in Hyren. They're organizations, almost like big companies, essentially, that have grown so broad. They're not just this one purpose they started as. Now they're just big, big guilds. Mm -hmm. And so, like, maybe the guild is sponsoring them. And, and so they are able to go to school with high funding, get all the resources they need when they go to um, learn their new spells or invent new spells, which will be part of it. Um, they'll have access to way more books, way more materials. Um, but then, obviously, like I said, you know, if, as things change over the campaign, their funding may change. Maybe they do something that get, brings them... Uh, their patron doesn't like it, or whoever's sponsoring them doesn't like it, and that lowers. They they lose some right. of that, or maybe all of it. Or maybe they're not so well-funded, and they come to school, they make a name for themselves, and someone notices and, and picks them up, kind of. So, yeah, it, it sounds very similar to what I was going on. That was the D20 system, you said? Uh, D20 Modern. D20 Modern. Yes, there were the... This I think it was made by Wizards of the Coast, where it was one of the offshoots of Third Edition. Okay. Um, where they had a bunch of rules for trying to make it work for anything people wanted to run in a a modern setting. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So the the issue with that one is then you have to decide like what the wealth level of every item is. Yeah, I can see that being challenging. Yeah, so you have like a guideline in the the book of like, okay, so look, a car costs this much for a nice car, mm -hmm. so that's thirty thousand dollars. So anything that's thirty thousand dollars is gonna be that same wealth level of item, right? That makes sense. Of course, yeah. But it's much harder to do that for a fantasy system where you don't have like just look up the price and then there's the wealth level item. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's a little, it's a little bit harder than that, yeah.
Yeah. Uh, that's that sounds like it'd be challenging to do to decide a wealth level, but I guess you kind of could as like a big rule of thumb. You know, something that costs five gold stuff is gonna be very different than something that costs like you know ten thousand. So, kind of yeah. makes sense. Um. If you wanted to do kind of a hack for the 2D20 system where, like, motivation matters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there is something on uh, page 264 of the Dungeon Master's Guide for 5th mm-hmm. edition where your proficiency bonus isn't related to, like, skills that you have, but instead is related to your motivation. Okay. Um, so instead of picking, like, skills and other stuff that you're proficient in, you basically have to kind of decide your character's motivations and then whenever you do something your character is really motivated to do your proficiency bonus applies okay i see i see i imagine with some groups that may be harder to do if they're the type who maybe like want to get every little edge they can i know with one of my groups that probably wouldn't go over well but one of my the the in-person one i think that that kind of thing could work out pretty well well, it it encourages having like one positive trait and one negative trait. Ah, I see. I see. Okay. What would be like an example of a positive and a negative for this case? All right. Um. Uh. Let's see. Right here. Uh. For example, a character with a positive personality trait of, I never have a plan, but I'm great at making things up as I go along. Sounds like me. Okay. Okay. And for negative. I often get lost in my own thoughts and contemplation, oblivious to my surroundings. Ah, uh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. the positive trait defines when they have a proficiency bonus. The negative trait defines when they have disadvantage on a skill check. This is pretty interesting, because it focuses more on on how you're doing the action and what actions you're doing. Because, like, if you guys reach a wall to climb over, you know, are they just running up and going, or are they taking time planning it out? And if it lines up with their character, they, they get the bonus. I, I see that, yeah. Yeah. You can see how that would work. I just know with one of my groups, I have a couple players who, they, they love to just ask for every little potential bonus possible. Um, I imagine for them it would be challenging, but I think my in-person group could handle something like that. Yeah, yeah, and this this whole section of, like, alternate rules in the DMG does definitely caution against, like, yeah, it should be something that you know will work for your group, um, or at least you have a, a discussion about it beforehand so they know what you should be doing with that kind of system. Yeah, I should check out those optional rules again, now that I feel like I have a little bit of a better handle on things. It's been a while since I've glanced through the old DMG. Yeah. There's also a, a an honor system in fifth edition, but again, I'm not quite sure it fits for fame. But yeah. maybe it's something that you can adapt to work for it. Yeah, potentially. It has it work as just a, a seventh stat. Okay. So that could be how it works. Is like you oh know, right, yeah. They have they have to buy it or roll it, and then it's like okay, you're the popular kid because you got an 18, <laughs> and you're the you know pimply faced loser because you got a five. <laughs> uh, Makes sense. So, okay. Uh, yeah, well, that's your your coming up campaign. Um, <laughs> you also have a a current three campaigns that I still wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. We can briefly. Why don't talk you give about. us like uh, the major threat for each of the campaigns, and we can just talk about that. Yeah, Does sure. That work. Okay, cool. Um, the in person one, the the six knights of the sapphire spine. Their main threat uh, currently is a beholder 
that is uh, running a cult. His name is Gazotter. And uh, this uh, cult has supposedly kidnapped uh, two of the characters' families and uh, our mothers and potentially others as well. They've been kidnapping people from across the country. So um, they're here to stop them. And it's become a very big and dire situation. But I have faith that they'll be heroic. Uh, we're actually playing tomorrow night and continuing the battle in the city. So we'll see how things go. But after that, their big main villain is the uh, the demon lord Ozkin and the cult of Ozkin, where um, I had mentioned it before how demons have taken the south. So uh, that's their big main threat. Um, in the other campaign I have ongoing, my players, I think they've I think they've begun to realize that they actually just released the big threat of the campaign. Uh, they have released a vampire, a very powerful, very ancient vampire who is quite capable. Um, knocked them all out right away, uh, just with a with an easy spell. They all failed the saving throw. It wasn't even that high of a of a DC. They all just rolled very terribly, except for one who survived, and um, she had the option of becoming a vampire or not. Um, but that's that's their main villain. This this campaign's still pretty early. We're only like fifteen or I think less than fifteen sessions in. Uh so they haven't really wow. established the big threats yet or anything. But I think they have figured out now that this vampire, they kinda messed up a little bit by releasing her. So that'll be a that'll be a fun one. And then uh the third one, which ended um because the players all or the, the characters died unfortunately. Um that one over in Gallison, the end big bad that they were going to have to face was the Crimson King, a uh, this big red orc who has uh, secret secret uh, has one of the artifacts that the um, similar to the ones the players were gathering. Their main objective: gather these artifacts, and uh, he has one, and he's been uniting other orcs and goblins and giants and hobgoblins and bugbears, all these all these trolls, people that are um, not able to go into cities, that kind of thing. And right. they are banding together, and they are just roasting the countryside. You know, they're going through, ravaging yeah. the place. Uh, it's a big deal. Um, but they all died because uh, instead of going tackle that issue, which was the next thing they were going to do, uh, instead they went on a personal quest where they chased down a dude who had kidnapped uh, some beloved NPCs of theirs because they pissed him off, and they pissed off the wrong person. Um, he is. Uh, they called him the Angry Brevtensen because over in Galson they don't meet too many Brevtensens, but this was one of them, and he didn't like him, and so kidnapped him, took him uh, back to Brevtensa with this, some teleport, and these heroes went in. They raided this guy's mansion in the middle of the swamp, and slowly but surely they all died. So that campaign ended, unfortunately. Those are those are the big threats. One's a, a very powerful vampire. They'll find out. They'll find out. And the other one is a big demon lord who is trying to make his it's his third attempt to fully enter and claim uh, the material plane or the mundane realm. So we'll see if they can succeed or not. Um, uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about for the the world or your campaigns? I know we sure did a, a lightning run there, but. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I know I went pretty fast. I do have two last brief things, try to keep them brief, um, that I like that, because uh, I got cool ideas from other DMs from the past, and so I like to pass things on. 
Um, one that I took from a past DM was called the Trinax Trials. He didn't have the name for that, but it's one of those random choose your random dungeon type things. You know, you wake uh -huh. up in a room. Uh, there's three doors in front of you. One shows a sword. One shows a shield. One shows a bow. And your group can only go in one, and you gotta fight whatever's inside or take care of whatever's inside, solve the puzzle. Uh, but it's all these choose your own that kind of eventually weave their way through just a bunch of these random fun dungeons. I like doing that for like one shots or like interludes in a campaign. Um, but in my lore, Trinax is this uh, the most powerful wizard and just steals adventurers away for fun, basically, as very bored wizards do. Um, the other thing is the Care Hog. And this has been a uniting factor in all my bigger, newer campaigns so far. Is around level 10, players eventually learn about something called the Care Hog. It is a group of Godzilla-sized uh, dragons and monsters or creatures that are like a, a council of guardians, almost. They try to protect the world they try to protect the realm generally but each of them has their very own philosophies each of them has their very own uh, motivations and uh my players the campaign that succeeded actually killed one of them um, oh. but in order to meet these uh care hog you have to go through a set of trials and it's these um plane hopping crazy trials similar to the trinax trials but more wild and crazy like one minute uh you're underground in a in a magma pool and you're trying to fight your way across a bunch of fire newts as this terrible um Groudon like godzilla is laughing at you and then suddenly the next minute you're in a never-ending mansion party and you have to find the way out but no one knows where it is and you have to kind of talk to people and figure out who knows where the exit is and how to get there um, so it's just this fun random sort of craziness and it's it's a very central part of my game now and my world building so it's one of the things i'm more proud of uh, when it comes to stuff i've made cool. but um yeah other than that uh my last brief thing uh for uh, my players because i know some of them might listen to this i wanted to like give them something cool if they did listen this far yeah. if that's okay yeah sure okay uh, my secret for those of my players who have been listening is somewhere in my game there is a pile of gold. This pile of gold uh, has millions of gold in it. I did steal this idea uh, from a, a thread very long ago. Um, any gold you take from the pile will go back to the pile within a year. And when you take gold from the pile, creatures within a certain many miles radius will know that gold has been taken and they'll know the relative direction. And so it's this like fun puzzle trap and um this puzzle trap was created by a specific character in my world and if one of my players can message me and tell me who this character is they will receive a reward from that character so that is my kind of my thing and that last piece is a hint for my players because if they if they've been paying attention they should be able to figure it out i think all right that's uh that's pretty cool yeah fun little fun little thing for them Otherwise, that's ever... everything I have, I think. I don't think we ever had, like, a teaser for the, the game on the podcast yet. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be fun, because I, I don't know how many of them are actually going to listen to the whole thing. So if, if they do, you know, oh, neat. it's a potential rewarding game for them. But we'll see. I had a, another question. You mentioned in your um in your survey that you had, like, the... Zersoon and Drolful materials. Oh my god, yeah, that? I completely forgot. Holy holy cow. Okay. Lightning round, real quick. 
You want me to talk about them? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, real quick, I've got two um, items in my setting. My whole, a lot of the theme is light versus dark in my setting. And I've got these two opposing materials. One of them is pure magic. Um, my players once poured this down a kid's throat and he took on a kraken, supercharged like Goku. They once fed it to a politician and he went loopy and crazy and embarrassed himself and ruined his campaign. Uh, his his political campaign. Uh, they've done all. They once blew up a city because they gave it to someone who was way too powerful, and it it just reacted violently. And so they blew up like a hundred thousand people. Crazy magical power, raw and concentrated in physical form. You can find it in crystals or liquids or gas. My players haven't interacted with it a ton because it is a bit more rare, except for that very first crazy campaign because there's a lot there. Um, but they, some of my groups have been close. They've found pieces of it or have some. Um, right. One player recently received one as a necklace as a reward, which allows them to do some special stuff, which deals kind of with the next piece, which is Drothal, the opposite of Zerasun. Um, where Zerasun is all magic, Drothal is anti-magic. It's, it's me- a dark metal. Uh, the big sort of secret that one of my groups has learned is that it comes from a huge meteorite called the Godfell. And it's just this massive thing uh, that actually created the Nomensaw Sea in the center of the land very long ago. Um, but this Drothal, it is, it is forged like Damascus, so usually in layers, and it's a special technique that only a group of drow currently know in the world. Uh, one of my players okay. is from that group of drow. And um, this allows you to break or repel or absorb or completely destroy magical enchantments, depending on the style that it was crafted in. And some are more rare than others. But for example, one of my players has a, uh, a sword um, that is just a regular neutral style. So magic can't affect the sword. Um, this has come into play a couple times where he's able to like attack things that normally have a magical resistance or protection. He can just like break right through that and strike into them. Um, one player had a ring with the destruction style one, and so if they come up to like a magical lock or a magical obstacle of sorts, she's like poked it into it and kind of destroyed it that way. And they've encountered people, um, some people here and there in the world that have these items. Um, but I made these items to like kind of balance out because I wanted something fun and unique for like a cool item and anti magic and supercharged magic. It kind of made sense with things I already had in my world. So I eventually kind of moved them together as a uniting uh, materials and concept for the world. So it got big. (laughs) It got big in my world and my planning. So. Well, it sounds pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are the two materials, Drothal and Zersun, anti-magic metal and uh, very magical stuff. And if they touch each other, that is very bad. I warn my players every time. Just in case. Yeah, yeah, of course. Was it like a bag of holding going off or just a big explosion? Yeah, that's that's how I envision it. It's just like some big reality warping explosion or something. That's how I envision it. I had one player who like tried to force the issue, and I said, okay, the world is destroyed and suddenly rearranged to exactly how it was. You know, some some BS answer like that. Because I try to tell him, like, I, it, you don't want it to happen. <laughs> so... But all, all in good fun, of course. Right. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about while you're here? 
No, no, I think that's it. You, 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 you pulled the ones off that I had completely forgotten. I think that's everything I had. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It was good having you here, Alec. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, are you ever you're gonna make an episode at some point for your own world? Yeah, someone, uh, someone interview you. Yeah, um, I'm thinking about it. Uh, I I didn't want to have it be like a a selfish podcast where I talked about my own stuff, you know. <laughs> of course, um, of course. So, uh, not that it's exactly like that, because um, people do podcasts where they talk about their own stuff all the time. Of course, of um, course. But I think I just think it'd be cool to hear about your world, Isaac. That's all, and your yeah, your campaigns thanks. and stuff. Well, I mean the the idea behind the podcast was that it's a way for people to present their work um, that to the wider community that they don't usually get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to obviously give other people a chance to do that themselves first, and um, I was thinking maybe on like a one year anniversary for the podcast that yeah. might be the episode I do. Yeah, that'd be neat, like a one-year type of anniversary type thing. That'd be cool. So you'll you'll learn more. Um, Very cool. If you want, if you want to learn more now, you can also go to my website where there's a bunch of stuff already up. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, cool. Um, that's everything. Everything I had though. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming. <laughs>